You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is December 10th, 2016, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about Thanksgiving, which is a really timely topic to bring up on December 10th. Uh, as you might imagine, I've had the show notes for this uh, episode hiding in my little notes folder, and, and I'm just getting some free time just now to record. So here we are. Uh, those of you that have listened to the show in the past know that I normally talk a little bit about what's going on in my life during a brief segment we call loading time. But half this episode is probably going to be loading time. It's going to be a really long loading time. So we'll just get started with uh, the Commodore 64. We'll fire it up. We'll get started loading. I'm going to have to load every single disc to find what I'm looking for, to find the recording of this week's episode. So let's get that started. Uh, but I'm just warning you up front, we're going to have an extended loading time on this episode. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, it's been a while since I've been on the mic. Get on the mic. Get on the mic. Just get on the mic. Get on the mic, Mike. Get on the mic, Mike. That's why I always think of that stupid uh, Beastie Boys song. Uh, it has been a while. We uh, had an election. I don't know if you guys heard. We elected a new president, president-elect, president-elect Trump. It still sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit to me, but uh, I guess moving forward, uh, I'm not, I don't get into politics on this show and I'm not going to talk about uh, the state of the world, but I will say that as a federal employee, I read this week that they have sent a questionnaire, the president-elect and his cabinet, his new cabinet have sent out a questionnaire to the, I uh, believe it's the Department of Energy, about uh, possible changes, cutbacks, things like that. So I know that all my friends in the Department of Transportation are watching that with a close eye. Um, but you know what? It's uh, uh, I had I had to stop watching the election stuff. I really got what I self-diagnosed myself with as CNN depression. That's what I called it. I would come home every day from work or from school, turn on CNN and just watch CNN for hours. It started obviously before the election, but boy, uh, during the election, the week of the election and, and for several weeks after the election, I just could not stop watching news feeds and I had to make myself stop. I just had to, had to walk away from it, you know? So that, uh, I feel better, <laughs> I feel better now. Uh, but there was a little time in there where I didn't feel so good. Uh, gosh. So, you know what? One thing that makes me, here's a good segue. One thing that makes me, you know, I, I would talk about something else before I start talking about this, uh, which means I just run my segue. Um, but I am done with school. Today is Saturday as of Thursday at 5 PM. Uh, I finished up my... I've been calling it my third semester of graduate school, even though I recently found out that the class I took during the first semester doesn't really count towards my graduate degree. So you can call it my second semester, my third semester. I'll just stick with third semester because it just really doesn't matter that much. Um, but uh, this semester I took seven uh, hours in graduate school, which is almost full time for someone that's not uh working a full-time job and, and being married and raising kids. So it was, um, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work outside of, of work. <laughs> it was a lot of, uh, early mornings and late nights and trying to squeeze assignments into, uh, free time. The two classes I took were creative nonfiction 
and tutorial. So in creative nonfiction, we spent the semester creating a book proposal. I didn't know this, but for fiction, if you if you write a work of fiction and want to sell it, the process is, the normal process is, uh, or let's say the traditional process is, you write the book and then you uh, try to find an agent and the agent will represent you and your book and try to get it into uh, the hands or in front of the eyes of a publishing company. Uh, for nonfiction, you don't really have to do it that way. Instead, you write a book proposal, and that consists of a query letter and all these parts that say, you know, this is the book I would like to write. Uh, this is what it would be like. This is kind of how long it would be. This is what would be in it. This is what the chapters would look like. Uh, and that's what you send to either an agent or a publisher. And so that's what we did throughout the semester. We did each little part of a book proposal. And then at the end, we put it all together. We did a bunch of uh, assignments like reading and things like that on the side. So it was a really good class. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not 20, you know, <laughs> when I went to college the first time I, w I was only worried about my grades. Actually, if you look at my transcript, you could see I'm not, wasn't that worried about my grades, but uh, I, I was worried about like, how, how am I doing in school? You know, how is this going or whatever? Now I'm in a completely different headspace. Now I'm, I'm 43. I'm paying out of my pocket to go to school. My grade is like such a, a, um, well, I won't say it's not a concern at all because that type A personality really wants to get straight A's, but, uh, you know, the the things that I'm learning, what I'm learning, and, and if those skills can apply to the real world, that's way more important to me than the letter at the end of the semester, you know. Uh, so this class, both the classes I took were just, oh my gosh, so applicable to what I want to do in the long run, which is right. Uh, tutorial was the other class, and in tutorial... Uh, all it is, I say all it is, uh, is you meet one-on-one -on -one with one of the, the writing professors at the college, and every week you bring them 20 to 30 pages of something you have written. Uh, and it's the same, it should be, well, uh, for, if you're writing novels, like what, what I did, it would be, you know, like I brought chapter one the first week and chapter two the following week uh, and so on. Uh, and... You walk into the professor's office, they read through your work, which is uh, amazingly nerve-wracking in the beginning, <laughs> because you just have to sit there quietly while they read your work, and then when they're done, they give you uh, criticism, you know, constructive criticism and feedback and talk to you about, you know, how's the overall plot, how's the arc, where are the character's going, that sort of thing, and... Uh, there were several times where I brought chapters in and my professor read them and said, uh, you know, it'd be better. They shouldn't even go to this place. They should go to this other place or they shouldn't even get there. What if the monster stops them before they got there? Or what if this and everything she suggested was so much better <laughs> than what I had put down on paper. And it, uh, you know, they say that if you want to be a writer, First, you need to be a reader, and that's where uh, that knowledge and that level of experience comes from, where you can see a story and say, ho-hum, this is kind of boring, which parts of my story were, and say, you know, what if? You know, they, they say that if you want to inject action into your story at every scene, at every part where there's action, think about what's the worst possible thing that could happen to your characters and then do that to them over and over and over until the end of the story, you know? So I hadn't done that. I did it in some points, not, not in every point along the way, but, um, just having someone getting that feedback where you don't write 300 pages and then have someone read it and say, that's boring. Instead you write, you know, chapter three and have someone say, what if you did this? And, and here's just a funny little story. Uh, the protagonist of the story that I was working on this semester is a guy who is in a um, a pretend, not pretend land. He, he's kind of in purgatory <laughs> is where he is. And he has arrived with this laser, this blue laser rifle that can, you know, just destroy anything. Most people in purgatory don't have weapons, but he has ended up with one, uh, which is good because it turns out that uh, – 
purgatory is under attack. And my idea for this whole story in 300 pages is at the end of the battle, the climax, he saves the day with this rifle. And we're talking like 20 chapters, you know, and I took in chapter five and my professor read it and she said, you know, this, this rifle is too powerful. Uh, it doesn't make sense in this world and you should destroy it. And with one set of eyes, I was like, that's a great idea. I mean, that would be. If you want to talk about the worst thing that could happen to this guy, that would be the worst thing that could happen to this guy is him to lose this rifle. On the other hand, I have 15 chapters <laughs> that I have already planned out of things I'm going to do with this rifle. And so I did destroy the rifle in chapter five, which caused me to go back to the drawing board and work even harder. So it was all for the best. Uh, I wish... Uh, you know, anybody that's a writer, it, whether it's uh, uh, somebody like this, like a class in college, a, a some sort of peer review. I mean, there's just no alternative for getting that feedback from somebody. And, you know, I've tried getting feedback from people I know, and it doesn't work. Um, it, it doesn't work because people don't want to hurt your feelings. And they say that they, you know, that they'll tell you what they think and this and that. And here's the other thing. If they do hurt your feelings, that you have a, uh, a chance to possibly damage your friendship. So it's a no-win situation, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking online for, for places to review my work, um, you know, while I'm out of school right now. But that is, uh, uh, you know, this was a great opportunity, and it really made me uh, look at the way that, uh, uh, that I, I approach story, you know. So anyway... Uh, I'm off school for five weeks. The new semester starts uh, mid-January, and, and um, next semester it's more writing, writing. I think I have three semesters left. Uh, so, you know, I'm about halfway through the program, Master of Professional Writing, which uh, that, you know, signing that to the end of a submission or, a, you know, putting that in a query letter means poop. I mean, it means nothing. Nobody would look at something you've written and say, that's bad. And then you go, <clears throat> you see these initials down here at the bottom? And then and then they would go, oh, I take it back. This is wonderful. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it's just like probably in maybe where you work, you get emails from people and uh, like the, the tech nerd guys and the help desk, like I'm one of those nerds. Uh, and they sign it and there's um, all these, you know, initials, abbreviations for certifications, and they may send you something that makes no sense or they don't understand. So that's not always a reflection of, of, uh, the quality of work, let's just say. Uh, and so, you know, for me walking away from, I mean, when I'm done with this program, it's not so that I can walk around telling people I'm a master of professional writing. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to me is that. Uh, I mean, what it means to me is that knowledge. I mean, all those classes, all that information I have uh, taken, you know, I've kept the notes from every class I've taken. I have them all filed in. I scan them into the computer. I type them up and sort them in different ways. I mean, it's just that's what I'm paying to go to school for is this knowledge. So anyway, really what we're all paying for is for me to bore you guys about uh, stories about college. So uh, done with that. Uh, I made a list here of some of the things that I have bought for myself over the past uh, one to two months. The first is a Y modem. Uh, and I think it's pronounced Y modem. It's W-I and then the word modem by Jim Drew. I want to call it a Wii modem, but Wii, first of all, I think it would be W-I-I, like the Nintendo Wii, and then plus it makes you think of obviously the Nintendo Wii, but it's a, a Y modem because it's Wi-Fi for the Commodore 64. Now, originally, this was marketed uh, at $149.95, which was too much money for me, uh, but the price has been dropped to $55, which I thought was much more reasonable. And literally what this is, is a wireless modem for your Commodore computer. Um, I know it works with the Commodore 64. Um, I know that it works with um, several of the other models. If you have something other than a Commodore 64, like I know it works with the 128, 
but I, there may be caveats. So you might want to look that up. Uh, you can find information over at uh, cbmstuff.com. There's a little tiny uh, LED screen that has a status whether or not you're you're connected. So basically, when I was a kid and I had a Commodore 64, I had a modem that connected to the phone line in my bedroom and I could dial up and connect to bulletin boards, BBSs. This is a wireless modem that connects to your wireless network in your house and you can use terminal programs just like that. I mean, the exact same, uh, it only works with some, but, uh, the old term programs that we used to use the same programs, they don't need to be modified and it allows you basically to telnet to online BBSs with your Commodore 64. Uh, you could do this through emulation, but that's uh, so much not fun for me. Uh, you can do it through telnetting on your PC, and there are, are like sync term and other terms. But, uh, I mean, this to me is authentic. I mean, I love it. You can telnet into a, a Commodore board, and all of a sudden it's just like you have connected with a traditional modem. Uh, it doesn't, well, first of all, I want to mention it, it plugs into, uh, the, uh, I guess it's the user port. It's the opposite side of the cartridge port, which is important if you have a 1540, 1541 ultimate, like I have. Uh, so it plugs into the user port. It doesn't have a case. It doesn't come with a case, uh, like a lot of, uh, these modern add-ons for retro computers. Uh, there is a case available from a third party, but I'll just throw this out there. I'm sure it's very good quality. Um, it is a 3d printed case and I looked it up. It was $16 for the case. You can find it on code I 64. Um, it's 16 for the case and 15 for shipping. So it's $31 and I got the modem for 55 and I just, couldn't justify at the time spending almost, you know, another 50% uh, just for a plastic case to go around it. So mine does not have a case. Uh, it will run from 300 baud up until I think 56K, but the term program that you use has to support that baud rate. And most of the term programs I have found only go up to 2400 baud. I know there's a 9600 baud hack that people have done, but again, I'm looking for that authentic experience. So reading text at 2400 baud does not bother me in the slightest. To me, it reminds me of uh, the old days. Uh, it adds AT commands. Uh, if you remember, if you were uh, uh, an old modemer back in the day, you would do like ATDT, and that's actually how you dial. You can do ATDT and then, you know, like Google.com. Uh, port 80 or, or ATDT, you know, a BBS name or the IP address, uh, and usually port, you know, could be 23, could be whatever. Uh, but you connect to those and, and off you go. And there are AT commands that are built in to connect to your network. I had a really difficult time connecting mine to my network. Uh, it does support WPS. If you've used that, where you press a button on your wireless router and it connects, um, and that's the only way I could get mine to work. I tried manually, uh, putting the information in, I tried two or three different uh, methods that they suggested. I couldn't get any of those to work, but I could get WPS, uh, to work. Uh, there is a specific, I had to use CC GMS, uh, which is an old term program version seven. Uh, I had tried version six randomly, just, I randomly pulled up a disc that had version six. I tried version eight, uh, and those don't work, but for some reason, version seven does. So once I learned that, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's not like buying something like going to the store right now and getting a 50 page manual or something. I mean, a lot of this, it, it reminds me of the old ways because there's a lot of trial and error and going online and finding other people that have already figured this stuff out. So if it weren't for all you guys on uh, Twitter, all my retro, uh, Commodore people, you guys know who you are. Uh, I probably would not have uh, got this thing to work. I do like there's an AT command they've added to update the firmware, uh, which is very handy. So you don't have to unplug this thing, plug it into a computer and do anything like that. Uh, so, yeah, what I like about it, it is the closest I've had. I mean, it's the closest experience I think you're going to get on a C64 of connecting to an old BBS. 
Um, the thing I don't like about it is I feel like I have to check multiple sources. Like I have to go to Facebook. I have to go to the website. I have to go to the forums on the website. I have to go to Twitter. I have to go to all these places to get information about updates or new features. Um, actually, the most active place is the Lemon64 forums. Uh, it seems to be the best place to get information. So it just seems like a lot of different uh, sources of information where I would like it to just be uh, one place. But uh, anyway, I've had a lot of fun with that. Uh, I haven't got quite as much time to play with it as I would like, uh, but uh, over the next five or six weeks until the next semester starts, I will be playing with it. I also got a 1541 Ultimate 2+. Plus. Now, I've had a 15. 15- uh, 1541 Ultimate. Since the very early days, I have um, one of the old, old, old ones that uses uh, full-size SD cards. Uh, this is the brand new 2 Plus. It comes in a case. Uh, when I purchased mine, there were choices of black, white, or red cases. So mine came in a red case. Instead of uh, SD cards for storage, now you use uh, USB sticks. So I don't really know what the advantage or disadvantage to me. It just seems like something different, but whatever. Uh, I mean, it is convenient if you want to pull the USB stick out and plug it into your PC and update things and then plug it back in. But uh, uh, eh. <laughs> when I did the SD card, that's how I did that, too. So that doesn't seem to be uh, a huge advantage. Uh, there is an additional tape adapter if you want to use it to connect to the uh, cassette port and transfer things back and forth that way or load tapes. Uh, so that is new. Uh, it comes with a built-in speaker, which mine was uh, old enough that it did not have a built-in speaker. So it will play the same sounds of a Commodore 64 disk drive. I don't personally find them to be very authentic. <laughs> um, there's, I mean, uh, every time I hear something, I go, what's that clicking? And then I realize it's supposed to be the sound of a drive, but it doesn't really sound like a drive to me. Uh, it does have a battery backup, uh, so there's a real-time clock. One thing I was really excited to find out is that it has an Ethernet connection. Now, when I bought this, this was before I had the wireless modem, and I thought, this will be fantastic, because not only uh, do you get all the uh, advantages of a 1541 Ultimate, but I could use it online. Well, it turns out you can't use it for online connectivity. And it's funny how everybody says, why would you assume that? But why would you not assume that? If there's a network connection on something, I would assume (laughs) that I could use it to get on a network. Uh, But it has a built-in... FTP server. So the idea is that you could connect to this with your personal PC and instead of having to pull, you know, like the old SD card or, or the new uh, USB stick out, that you can just FTP to the 1541 Ultimate and, uh, you know, upload or download files. Uh, so far, I haven't got it to work. I have got it to connect over FTP and I can see the files, but everything I try to transfer uh, fails. And, um, you know, I'm just I'm going through one uh, network switch, so it's not like a, a complicated network setup or anything. And I can see, you know, I, obviously I could connect to it. I can see the IP address and all that. Uh, this is funny. When I set the... Uh, wireless address for the wireless modem, I used DHCP, and then I had to go hard set a uh, a static IP address with the 1541 Ultimate, and I thought, never in a million years would I thought I would have a Commodore 64 with an IP address, and now mine has two. <laughs> oh, what a, a problem that, uh, uh, no, I could have never imagined I would have. But um, anyway, I mean, there's a lot of, of uh, new features. There's a built-in SID player. Uh, you've got all the, the cartridges built in, like Final Cartridge and uh, Super Snapshot. I use the Epics Fast Loader just because that's what I had as a kid. Um, the uh, current exchange rate is really advantageous to um, U.S. citizens right now. It costs 137 pounds, which is about 170 U.S. I paid uh, well over 200 for my last one. So uh, if you if you go online, you could go to, um, let me pull this up, 1541ultimate.net. Uh, you could go put your order in. Uh, if, you, if you end up purchasing one of these, be patient. I mean, mine took, I think, three months to arrive, maybe more. 
they this is a small time uh you know a a homebrew type project they're assembled uh by hand parts of this are done by hand the the first batch every one of them needed a a separate wire soldered by hand inside <laughs> for some sort of fix so uh it's not like if you order this you're not going to get it next week you will not get it by christmas if you order this now uh but you know, I, it's the type of thing that you order and then you sit back and forget about and someday it shows up. So that's what I did. Uh, so, oh, and, and uh, that, that price, the 170 US or 137 pounds, uh, that came with uh, the 1541 Ultimate 2 Plus, a short serial cable if you want it, you know, for connecting it directly to your uh, Commodore and a 8 gig USB stick, which 8 gig is more than enough to store pretty much definitely more than than my collection of uh of commodore discs so uh that's all the commodore stuff that i bought lately i did buy uh, i guess a weekend before last nine more lunch boxes now i have thought about doing an episode strictly about lunch boxes but i just don't know that that's going to that anybody's going to care about lunch boxes for that long so i will take 90 seconds and explain that uh, I have been collecting lunchboxes for a while because I built a set of shelves to hold DVDs, and my DVD collection outgrew the shelves. So I ended up with a set of shelves with nothing on it. And through trial and error, I found out that it was the perfect size to hold lunchboxes. And so I took my two vintage Star Wars lunchboxes, and I had a Pac-Man lunchbox, and I put all three of them on the shelves, and I thought, hey, those look pretty good. And so I started collecting lunchboxes literally to fill those shelves. Um, my parameters for collecting lunchboxes, I prefer metal ones. I prefer ones that have some sort of meaning to me. There are – I just – saw a a TV, one of those collector TV shows, and there was a guy, and I think he said there's like 450 different vintage cataloged metal lunchboxes. I would say at least two to 300 of those I have no interest in ever owning. Um, you know, there, there are some like the, uh, there's a, a Butch Cassidy. I think that's, that's, uh, one of the earlier ones. It's really, uh, worth a lot of money, I have no interest in that. I mean, if somebody offered me one for a dollar, I, I probably wouldn't take it. I'd much rather have the collection that I have now, to be honest. And it is, um, oh gosh. Um, I mean, it's all 70s and 80s, uh, and maybe one or two 90s. But um, uh, I mean, for the most part, it is, well, there's the Star Wars stuff. Uh, there's a Muppets, a Muppet show. Actually, I have two or three. Uh, I have Muppets. I have Muppets in space. <laughs> and I have the Muppet babies. Um, I have uh, Dragon's Lair and, and, you know, just stuff that I like. Just, just 80s kind of stuff that I like. Now, I've started, I bought some plastic ones. The plastic ones are so much less fun. I mean, the, all the plastic ones are the same mold. Uh, they may be different colors, but the only difference is, is that they have a different sticker on the front, you know? So there are some that I wanted, like I really wanted a Ghostbusters one, which I got, which is a red plastic thing with a Ghostbusters uh, logo on the front. And then I got one that's uh, uh, He-Man and it's the exact same thing. It just has a different sticker on it. You know, I think I have a, a G.I. Joe one or something like that. But the point is, is that they just don't have the character that the metal ones have. I love the metal ones so much. Um, and so someone uh, tipped me off to a local flea market thrift store kind of place that had purchased several hundred lunch boxes. And uh, so I went over there and they they posted online and said all their lunch boxes would be on sale from five dollars to thirty dollars. So I said, "Oh, that's great!" You know, when I got there, the guy at the sale was holding up a lunchbox and telling people how this lunchbox was was uh, he found it on eBay for four hundred, but he was only selling it for two hundred. And I thought, "Oh boy, <laughs> here we go." Um, but you know, it, it turned out to be not bad. Most uh, for the most part. 
with uh, thermoses. That's another thing is a lot of times you find them without the thermos. And I have made the mistake once of opening one and taking a big whiff of 20-year-old milk <laughs> inside a thermos. Uh, mostly I they're washed, but I, I did learn that lesson. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I got some interesting ones that I didn't have before. I got a Sigmund and the Sea Monster, which is probably the oldest one I have now. I got a Clash of the Titans, uh, lunchbox. I got several new ones and they're all really fun, you know? So, uh, when I, I was going to school, I had a class, uh, that kind of overlapped when my lunchtime was and, uh, so I had to take my lunch and I would take it in a, a different lunchbox every week. And I would, you know, my little area where I sat up and, um, and would work, you know, I, I was doing a whole bunch of, uh, uh, of my actual work, like my day job work. Um, and then I, during my lunch break, I would go to this one class and, uh, you know, so I would set up a different lunchbox every week and people started coming by and, and checking out, you know, you know, the weird old guy <laughs> with lunch boxes, but that's okay. I don't mind being the weird old guy, but, um, yeah, so that was fun. I had to, uh, uh, drag some other shelves over by the first shelves. So now those shelves are full too. So like many things I collect, uh, the first problem is I don't have enough. And then suddenly the second problem is I have too many of them. So there are some that, uh, I always tell myself like, like I got a strawberry shortcake lunchbox. I'm not a strawberry shortcake person, but my my sister had that lunchbox. And so when I saw it and it was real cheap, so I bought it. And then in my head, I justify that by saying, well, someday I'll get rid of it. Like if I get one that I really love, that's what I'll get rid of. But now, like I won't get rid of it. <laughs> like I, I should get rid of it, but I don't, you know, so that's, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a conundrum in Rob's noggin. So uh, anyway, so that's uh, some of the stuff I've been doing. Really, what I've been doing every day is just writing, 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 uh, you know, before work, after work, late night after the kids go to bed. Uh, it's always just working on the next story, working on the novel, working on uh, essays to submit online. Uh, so it's really kind of addictive. Um, it's rewarding when someone reads it and, and loves it. And it's heartbreaking when someone reads it and thinks that it's terrible or it doesn't connect to them. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about what other people think of it. It's what you think about it. So, uh, so anyway, that's basically what's been going on now, as you know, oh my gosh, look at this. I found the disc. I found where uh, all my notes for the show have been stored. So let's um, get those uh, uh, pulled up here and let's get started talking about Thanksgiving. I was born in 1973, and in 1978, I moved to the house I lived in until I moved out on my own. So basically, other than uh, a few fleeting memories uh, as a little, little kid, little baby flack, <laughs> uh, all my memories were, you know, in the same house. Um, the only, and this is funny because a lot of these little, I'm not going to tell big detailed version of the stories because I've told them on previous episodes. Um, but my earliest Thanksgiving memory was in that first house before we moved to the house I grew up in. So this would have been, had to have been uh, the Thanksgiving of 1977. So I was four years old and I, every, you know, what I wanted to do was watch the Thanksgiving day parade. And I, and we had just got a pong console and my cousins had come over who were a little bit older than me and other people had come over and everybody wanted to play Pong. And I just remember begging them, like, just wait, wait till the end of the parade, you know, and then we can play Pong. <laughs> uh, so that's funny that that's a uh, I mean, that's probably my earliest uh, Thanksgiving meeting or memory. Uh, but but that uh, is a tradition for me every year to watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I watched it this year. Uh, I went downstairs. My wife came down. She was like, I know you like to watch the parade. My kids came in to watch the parade. Uh, it bores all of them every year. And every year I give them a hard time. And so this year they all came and said, we're all going to watch the parade with dad. And then about an hour into it, I was like, 
Yeah, I'm kind of done. I'm going to tell with the parade. Uh, for some reason, I just had my fill of it this year. Uh, I did enjoy that it kicked off with uh, the Muppets and Tony Bennett. That was pretty cool. Um, so when, when I was a kid growing up, I remember I did not participate in the preparation of the Thanksgiving meal. My mom would cook all day in the kitchen. Uh, my dad would go in and do certain things. The kids were to stay out of the kitchen. Stay, don't be underfoot. <laughs> go in the living room, watch TV. If other people came over, keep their kids busy. That was our job. Uh, and then we would eat, you know, at noon or one o'clock or something like that. Uh, for me, Thanksgiving food, turkey, number one, uh, actually stuffing, number one, turkey, number two. Uh, we, we make stuffing. Uh, I've talked about this on uh, throwback reviews. We make, uh, White bread stuffing, not cornbread stuffing. And you start off by taking a loaf of bread and you toast half of it and the other half you leave white and you tear it up. You put in celery and onions and all these other things. Um, it comes out best if it's cooked inside the turkey, but every year we don't always make the turkey. So we don't always have that opportunity, but uh, it's still pretty good if you make it outside the turkey, I think. Uh, I would be happy if... We got turkey and stuffing, mashed potatoes, um, and deviled eggs. Maybe corn. That's <laughs> oh, and pumpkin pie, of course. Yeah, uh, but uh, stuff like like I don't think I've ever eaten cranberries or cranberry sauce. Um, I'm not a big sweet potato guy. I'm not a big um, anything that's uh, with Jello. I don't like anything that's Jello that's not just Jello. So if it's Jello something else, I'm not gonna like it. <laughs> but if it's just Jello, I'll like it. But um, uh, you know what else is weird? I don't really care for Cool Whip, uh, which drives my wife crazy. She thinks that's you know the best part of pumpkin pie. I'd just soon have pumpkin pie without Cool Whip. I like the pumpkin pie part. Um, growing up. A lot. Of, well, my dad's family was all in Chicago, so occasionally, that someone from Chicago would come down and have Thanksgiving with us. Uh, you know, we have some. My mom's family was. Uh, it doesn't seem like there was anybody that would be a regular. Like I, I can't say every year my grandma came over or every year you know this aunt and uncle came over. It, it kind of seems like it was different every year. You know. Um, so I remember, you know, the year my grandma came, I remember the year that so-and-so came or whatever, but they were, but like I said, they, each one was, uh, was different on the uh, episode where I talked about movies. I talked about the, uh, Thanksgiving of 1984. That was the year that my mother put the turkey in the oven. And then my grandma went and messed with the timer, which on our oven didn't work right. And when she did, it basically prevented the oven from turning on, or maybe it turned off after a short amount of time. Uh, so when it was time to eat, they opened up the, uh, the oven and the turkey was ice cold. And so my dad said, well, it's time for us to go to the movies. So he took, uh, uh, my sister and I, and I, it seems like maybe there were some other cousins or something that went, and we went to go see Supergirl, which I looked up and that came out in 1984. So that's how I know it was uh, that year. But that's my uh, my memory of the movie Supergirl was uh, Thanksgiving Day, 1984. We went to go see that. My senior year of high school, I got a job at Grandy's. It is a fast food place here in the South. I think it's mostly in the South. Their tagline was fast food that doesn't taste fast. Um, it was mostly chicken ribs, that sort of thing. Um, but they were also known for, uh, not just their sides, like, you know, beans and corn and all that stuff, but also they made homemade rolls and homemade cinnamon rolls and they were both really, really good. And so, um, uh, I had to work, uh, 
probably two Thanksgivings in a row at Grandy's. And we were only open from like eight in the morning until noon. And we didn't sell, uh, it was drive through only, and we didn't sell any of the normal meals. Like, we didn't make chicken or ribs or any of that. Uh, we only sold side items, like, you know, a pint of beans or a pint of mashed potatoes or whatever. But we also sold uh, the rolls and the cinnamon rolls. And uh, so when we left, I would always take boxes of those home because, you know, all that stuff got thrown away. And so we could take it home. And uh, so for several years, we had great rolls. Those were the best Thanksgiving rolls. These uh, <laughs> just, you know, fresh grandies rolls and cinnamon rolls for dessert, along with uh, the pie and everything else. As long as you don't put uh, Cool Whip on them, they were really good. And um, then I think the next year, probably... Oh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe like the year, my first year of college um, was my sister's junior year of high school, and she got a job at Food Lion. If you remember Food Lion, it was the grocery store. There was the big expose. They got caught um, changing the expiration date. They got caught uh, bleaching fish or something. So that the old fish wouldn't smell. We always used to kid my sister. That was her job at Food Lion was to bleach the fish. Uh, and so there was a, a year or two where we had to juggle. Like I had to work early in the day. She had to work at night. So we had to move Thanksgiving to be like this this target, you know, right in the middle so that, uh, you know, everybody, everybody could have Thanksgiving at the same time. Uh, in the... Uh, this is kind of weird to talk about Thanksgiving, but um, my my parents got separated in the summer of 93, and then in the uh, fall of 93, I moved to Weatherford to go to school, and uh, I was just recently talking to uh, Guy Hutchinson, uh, my, uh, one of my podcast friends, one of my friends, and... Um, he said that I have such a great memory that I could just pull these stories out of my childhood and I know all these details. And that's true. I remember a lot of of these stories when I was a little kid and I remember, you know, things that people said to me or the way things happened. But what's weird is I have several years where I just don't really remember that much about Thanksgiving. You know, it was a time where my family wasn't really getting together. I don't think, um, you know, in, in 96 is when I moved to Washington state. So 96 and 97, uh, Susan and I celebrated Thanksgiving by ourselves. I think one year we went to a Chinese buffet or something like, um, it just wasn't, uh, you know, a, a big holiday for us for, for quite a little while. Uh, my, my son was born in 2001. And when I go back and look at my directory of, uh, digital pictures, like from holidays, f- starting in 2002 and on everything's we've had Thanksgiving at our house every year. Uh, and that was important to me because when I was a kid, we had Thanksgiving at our house, you know? And so Thanksgiving is a day I don't like traveling. Like I don't, um, I don't like, I mean, I don't mind driving around and going and see people after we eat or whatever, but I, I don't, I just don't like having Thanksgiving at someone else's house. I like having it at my house, you know, and that's the way that I had it when I was a kid and that's the way I want my kids to have it, you know? So, um, now as a kid, I would say Thanksgiving was probably one of my least favorite holidays. Um, not that I hated it. It was just, you know, nothing to it for me. It was just. Uh, you know, get up, watch this parade, wait and wait and wait and wait. Okay. And then we eat. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't like the only time of the year we ever had Turkey, (laughs) you know? So it wasn't, it didn't seem that special to me as a kid. Um, you know, if you think about it, like all that for, for kids, all the other holidays, like Valentine's day, where you made Valentine's day boxes for school and you got candy and Easter, uh, where you hid eggs and found eggs and, and got candy and, and blowing stuff up on the 4th of July and, of course, Halloween and Christmas. As a kid, um, Christmas, I think, is most people's favorite holiday, like as a, as a young kid. Um, and by the time I was a teenager, Halloween was my favorite holiday and still really is. Uh, I mean, like when people say, oh, I'm in the season for Christmas, like I don't get that. Like, oh, I'm going to, you know, 
I'm in the Christmas spirit. That's mm, not so much me, but I'll tell you what. I mean, for Halloween, for a month, I'm all – I could decorate the whole house in skulls and, and scary stuff or whatever. And, and I'm much more of a Halloween guy, I think, uh, than a Christmas guy. But I'll tell you this. Thanksgiving uh, has grown on me over the years. Uh, you know, I think Thanksgiving is probably more an adult holiday than a kid holiday. Uh, it's a shame that we don't wake up every day and make a list of the things we're thankful for or talk about the things we're thankful for. It's kind of a shame that, you know, this one time a year, I guess, you know, we sit down and go, well, gosh, this is uh, what I'm thankful for. And then you go, all right, let's more stuffing. And then you move on, you know, uh, I, I just feel like I wish that I were more, you know, that I took more time out, like a little time each week or something, you know, to, to think of the things I'm thankful for, because I'm thankful for so much. And so I went online uh, before I hit record. And Googled uh, the top things to be thankful for. And uh, Huffington Post had an article. And they had uh, the Huffington Post is the top 100 things to be thankful for. And I think everybody's list is very similar at the beginning. You know, things like family and friends and stuff. Uh, but if you get up to 100, you're stretching. And I, I scrolled down the list. Number 79 on their list, a perfectly ripe avocado. I mean, you got to be fishing uh, on your list of things you're thankful for if that uh, makes your top of the list. And number one, uh, or uh, number 91, was when a package has bubble wrap. I mean, again, it makes it seem like the first 90 things, like you ran out of things pretty quick, you know. So uh, so I, I didn't make a long list, but I just made an outline uh, of the top 10 things that I'm the most thankful for. And... Uh, People always say they're in no particular order, but I, I you know, the, the things at the, the top of the list here um, are obviously ones that are probably on all of our lists. Um, I think if you get too specific, you could say, like, I'm thankful for my my son and my daughter and my nephew and my niece. Like, I didn't do that. I mean, <laughs> so I have some pretty broad. Uh, who cares? Let's talk about the list. Uh, number one is family. And um, so I, I, I didn't write down any details of these, but. But, um, I mean, how can you not be thankful for, I mean, I'm so thankful I have a wife that, um, listen, I'm a grown ass man. I'm sitting in a room full of star Wars toys and I'm recording a show right now, uh, while my wife has taken my daughter, uh, to a girl scout ornament making party. I mean, how could you not be thankful of, <laughs> I have a wife that does so many things for my children. And for me, uh, I have two well-adjusted kids. I have, um, my parents, uh, who are both, you know, still alive, still healthy. I, I have all these people around me, my wife, my wife's family. Uh, so I, I'm just, I am very, very thankful that everybody is still healthy. Everybody is still here. You know, I had, um, uh, an uncle pass away a couple of years ago. I had my grandma, uh, which was my last living grandparent pass away. Um, and you know, those reminders, 2016, everybody knows that we have lost so many people, uh, you know, in 2016, I mean, celebrities and, and just all these famous people. And, uh, man, it's just a reminder that people aren't going to live forever. So my family, uh, getting to see my dad once, you know, my dad comes over every weekend and we sit down and we have coffee for, uh, exactly 90 minutes. <laughs> he shows up at exactly nine o'clock. He leaves at exactly 1030. And it's one of the highlights of my week, just sitting and catching up with him, you know, and, uh, had dinner with my, my mom the other day. It's just, all right, we beat it to death, but family, I'm very thankful. Uh, number two friends, um, you know maintaining friendships the older you get is hard like i don't know if you're if you're listening to this if you're my age if you're younger you're you're older if you're younger than me i mean when i was 20 i just took into um i just took for granted like oh i'm going to run into my friends i'm going to go to my friend's house and pick him up and we're going to go do something now it's like everything has to be planned you know oh can you you know i have plans they have plans they moved away um you know i'm 
busy with school, busy with work. It's hard uh, to find the time, you know, and it's ironic that we're more connected now than we've ever been in history. Uh, but it still takes effort. You still have to pick up the phone and call people or pick up the phone and, and email them, you know, or, or um, you know, I have such a pet peeve uh, <laughs> about just clicking like, like, or saying happy birthday on someone's Facebook page. Like from not, you know, not old classmates or things like that, but like my real friends, it just feels like such a gimpy thing to do. You know, like I, I, I try to make a point to call people or do something a little extra. Um, but, um, you know, so that, that's one thing. I mean, the, the friends that I've had forever and, and the new friends that I've made online, the old friends that I have, my real life friends, my, my, um, online friends and virtual friends, my friends, you know, through podcasting, uh, my buddy, Sean, who, who, I mean, if, if Sean lived here, you know, we would be doing stuff all the time together. Uh, so it's just that, that effort that you have to do. And I, but I am thankful, you know, for all my friends. So, uh, it turns out that when you don't write down the details that none of these have good endings, <laughs> I don't have a way to end any of these conversations on this list. Family, friends, number three is health. I'm more talking about my health um, and, and obviously the, the health of my immediate family. I talked a little bit, you know, about my family, but, um, you know, uh, uh, just <clears throat> being able to do the things that we want to do is important. I need to work on my health next year. Um, and, uh, but my kids are healthy. My wife is healthy, you know, um, and, and I'm just grateful that, you know, I have so many friends, a friend of mine, his young son, uh, had, uh, cancer. I mean, a, a little kid, you know, and to watch, watch one of your good friends and watch them, uh, uh, you know, send a, a young kid, nine, 10 years old through three years of cancer treatment. I had a, co- a coworker, my, my good friend, Emily, uh, was diagnosed with, with breast cancer last year and had to have uh, chemo and stuff. And, you know, it, it's, it's sucky stuff, man. It, it's stuff that, you know, you wouldn't wish on anybody and uh, it just makes you appreciate what you've got. So health, number three, number four, I am thankful for my job. My job has been so flexible, uh, when it comes to working from home, working weird hours. Uh, if it weren't for my job being so flexible, I would not be able to go to school right now. I would not be able to afford, uh, you know, things like wireless modems for old computers and stuff like that. So, uh, and, and I have tried a couple of different jobs over the years, like different positions, and I moved to a new one a few months ago and I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm back in a technical type position. I'm working on uh, windows 10, like making images, uh, that we can roll out to new machines and doing some other behind the scenes kind of stuff. And it's all, I'm just really happy right now at work. So, um, I'm really grateful, uh, for my job. Number five, I am thankful for the retro computing hobby. Um, you know, <clears throat> when we were, uh, when I was a kid, there were things that I couldn't afford. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, no, I wasn't in poverty or anything, but you know, uh, it's just, there's so much more now available to us. Um, and being able to, again, network with people online and find people that have the same, uh, taste that you do have the same interest to be able to work on projects together, even with people that are halfway across the country, it's just such a neat thing. And, um, you know, that there's, uh, there, there's so many different hobbies and stuff out there. So, uh, this is a weird thought, but you know, when, when, when I was a kid, I mean, like in the eighties, there were people that owned computers that weren't really into computers, you know? And I mean, I'm sure that's, that's the, people now use a computer. I mean, you have to use it just as a tool, you know, but the people that still have an Apple II computer set up on their home desk or a Commodore 64 uh, or an Amiga or all three like me, (laughs) Um, you know, those are the people, they're not doing it because they need to, they're doing it because they love it. And I just love this hobby. I love talking to people about it. Um, I, I used to feel like I was the guy 
that knew more about it than people. And now I find out that I know so much less than other people, you know? Um, and so I just really appreciate, you know, people's experience and people's knowledge and stuff. Uh, but I have a great time talking about old computers with people. So, uh, that's number five. Number six, I'm thankful for the ability to express myself. Uh, and that encompasses writing and, and podcasting, you know, um, when I was younger, even like in the nineties, like my friend and I, um, you know, set up a whole online magazine and we did all this, but who, who could read it? You know, I mean, we would have to find other people and send it to other BBSs. I mean, really who could read it? Other nerds, <laughs> that's who could read it. And in just a short amount of time, I mean, in just a few years, look at where we've come, man. I mean, I have a, my hosting now is, is, um, gosh, I, it's like six bucks a month or something. And with that, I can set up a million WordPress websites and you can set up blogs and download themes and, and do all this stuff and host your podcasting. And, and, uh, you know, if you go a little nuts with it, like I have that those funds, uh, <laughs> gets a little expensive. Uh, and that's, um, you know, like where, uh, for my Patreon supporters, that's where a lot of that money goes to is, is keeping the lights on and, and paying for these servers and stuff like that. But, um, you know, just the ability to do that. And now with self-publishing, uh, I don't know, man, the door is just wide open. I just, you know, when I was a kid, I would write a story and stick it in a folder and that was it. And if I wanted to share it with somebody, it's when they came over to my house to visit and I would pull it out and go, Hey, read this, you know, or you would post it maybe on a bulletin board to get three people to read it or something. I mean, you know, it just didn't have the scope now. And now to be able to write something in my home in Oklahoma, and fire it off to a newspaper that's in Dallas or a magazine that runs in New York City or a website that's hosted in California uh, or England or wherever and connect with people with your writing and your thoughts. And, and the same goes with podcasting. There are people all over the world that listen to my shows and stuff, and it's, it's uh, mind-blowing. Uh, but it's also just something I'm so thankful for is just to be able to connect with people with such ease, you know, uh, it's just such a low level of entry. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, number seven, I am thankful for school and college. Um, again, you know, I talked about that at the top of the program. I'm so thankful for the, uh, opportunity I've had for the professors that I have met, uh, that have already made my writing better, that have given me feedback and shown me things uh, that I didn't know. Like, I thought I was a good writer when I went into the program, and I was a good writer like you might be a good artist until you take art classes and someone says, you know, you know, this drawing is good, but it could be better if you did this. You know, if, if everything had, uh, uh, you know, was shaded in the same way or something, you know, then it would be better. Uh, it's that kind of stuff, you know, and, and that's, um, uh, I don't know. It's just, I'm so appreciative of being able to get knowledge from these people. That's going to make me a better writer. So school is uh, number seven on the list. Number eight, I am thankful for all the travel that I've done. You know, Christmas last year, a family and I went to Hawaii. That was our 50th state. So we've been to every state now. Uh, I haven't done a whole lot of travel this year, we did go on some trips. We went to, oh gosh, we went to uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which, you know, as you may know, recently uh, had a, a fire that came into town. We ate at a place uh, that's no longer there, one of the places that burned down. Uh, we took an RV trip this year. Uh, you know, when I talk to, to friends in other countries and, and find out, you know, that they just don't have the ability to travel like we do, you know, just... To just decide, oh, I'm just going to get my car and drive a thousand miles and go visit somebody or go see something or whatever. I'm I'm really grateful that uh, not just that we have the right to do that, but that I have the ability to do that. So that um, that's number eight on my list. Number nine, and this is pretty superficial, but I'm thankful for my house 
and I'm thankful for all the stuff that I have in my house. <laughs> That's pretty materialistic, it may sound. Um, but what I mean by that is I don't have to worry that you know my roof is going to fly off or that I, that my kids aren't going to have a warm place to stay you know at night or something uh you know if i want to buy a bunch of dumb lunch boxes and stack them in the corner on some shelves i can do that you know uh and, and so i'm so glad uh that that i'm past that point in my life where i have to worry about like oh, I'm worried about rent or I'm worried about where are we going to live or where are we going to move to and and uh, that sort of thing like that. Like I, we're just comfortable. Uh, and I don't mean it like from a financial way. I'm just being like our house feels like a home uh, and you could come and there's little, you know, I have my little writing desk where I could go sit and write. Uh, I have um, places where, uh, you know, I can display stuff or whatever. I just, I just, um, like that comfort, uh, that I have, you know? And so that, that's, um, uh, and I, again, I don't mean comfort, like, oh, I have expensive stuff. I mean, comfortable, you know, like I have a futon in this room that sometimes when I want to read a book, I just come curl up on that futon and shut the door in here and open up the shade. So I get the light from outside and I can just sit here and read, you know? Uh, but, but I, I'm just thankful that, uh, that especially my kids, like they don't have to worry uh, you know, about being safe or that, uh, we're going to have a house or something. So I'm definitely thankful for that. Uh, and number 10 on my list, I'm thankful for every one of you. And that may sound cheesy. That may sound like a, a you know, a, uh, and not, uh, honest statement, you know, or something that's superficial, but it really is true. Um, you know, if, if, uh, it weren't for you guys and I probably would be, Maybe I wouldn't be posting these podcasts at all. I might be hitting record and and uh, saving them to my hard drive, and I'd be the only one listening to it, you know, or I'd still be writing stories and putting them in journals and folders instead of uh, trying to, to ship them out so people, you know, in the real world could see them. Uh, but it's you guys. It's the listeners. It's the Twitter followers. It's, uh, you know, the people on Facebook. It's the definitely, definitely the Patreon supporters. I mean, you guys are the ones that let me know that you want me to keep doing this, you know? And so, uh, I mean, I, I've said this before that I'm a, a, a uh, I, like, I need feedback. It doesn't need to be positive feedback. I need to know that people are out there, you know, and, uh, I just thrive on that. Um, it's, it's the same reason people have asked me, you know, going to college, especially with a full-time job and everything is such a hassle. Why don't you do online courses? And if I just wanted to do online courses, I wouldn't do it through a school. There's so many great places online for free that you could get information from, but that's not, I mean, the enjoyment I get is from being around other people and, and getting feedback and giving feedback and that exchange of information face to face, you know? So, um, you know, like I said, if I never, if there was no way to, um, tell that anybody had ever downloaded a show or read one of my blog posts or something. I don't know that I would still do it. I would still write, but I wouldn't bother posting all that stuff online. Um, it, it's you guys, uh, honestly, honest to goodness. It's you guys that, uh, that made me keep doing this. So thank you to everyone. You guys that download the shows that read the posts that, um, you know, go to the forum that all that stuff, uh, you know, every, retweet every, you know, interaction is just another way of people telling me that they want me to still do this. So anyway, I have rambled, uh, for an hour. We talked about stuff I bought. We talked about, um, stuff I'm thankful for. We talked about being thankful for the stuff I bought. I mean, I think that's full circle. <laughs> I think that's everything. So, uh, I have, uh, several, you don't know, flat drafts, Sitting uh, in the uh, hopper, I had one on, um, gosh, I had one on televisions that I owned. I had one on the World's Fair from 1982. I had um, a couple other ones in there, but I would sure like to hear from you. So uh, if you would, you can uh, send me some feedback on this episode, uh, or if you want to send me about anything else. Uh, but specifically, I'd like to know 
what you guys uh, would like to hear about in the future, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. You can drop me a message on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore or leave a voice message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. So thanks again uh, to all of you for uh, hopefully you haven't uh, unsubscribed from your podcast feed and you'll find this nice little surprise uh, out there waiting for you. So thank you all and I will be talking to you soon. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64-themed podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.